said, we're going to continue our series today called Out on a Limb. And we're working our way through 1 Kings. We're looking at the story of two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. We're a long way from Elisha right now. Uh, but in the story of Elijah, we've been talking about that the whole story is a confrontation of the true God versus all of the false gods. The culture that Elijah lived in is very similar to the culture we live in today where people believe in universalism, that there's gods and all gods are the same and doesn't matter what gods you worship. Uh, only Christianity makes a bold statement. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So either Jesus' statement is true and the others are all false or they can all be false. Maybe none of them are true. But at some point, you have to make a decision. Now, to me, the watershed moment is in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says it as clearly as it could be said. If Jesus is raised from the dead, he proves himself to be God, and we have the greatest faith ever in the world. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, we've got nothing. Let's all go home. Because it all rises and falls on that one Story And for 2,000 years, people have done everything they can to discredit the resurrection. And the story still stands. You see, if Jesus just dies, he's a martyr. A lot of places, a lot of groups have martyrs. That's not hard to come by. But when your God raises from the dead, my friends, that's a trump card. So if you're here today and you're not sure what to do with Christianity, I encourage you to dig in, ask questions, look up these stories, these historical documents. Why would people believe in a resurrection and why would people believe a hoax for 2,000 years if that story is not true? And I'll tell you this, everyone who's done an honest search ends up becoming a Christian. Well, there's a second showdown in Scripture that's almost as good. This is Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Remember we talked about the fact that Elijah came and he confronts King Ahab. This is 2,800 years ago in Israel. And he says, it's not going to rain for three years until I say so. What was it about? King Ahab's worshiping false gods. King Ahab says, ah, it doesn't matter what God you worship, a God's a God. And so he worshiped a God called Baal, B-A-A-L, who's known as the storm God. And they also worship a goddess called Ashtaroth. And Ashtaroth is a fertility goddess. All right. So we worship sex and we worship a God who they sacrifice their children to, to get rain. All right. That's the two gods that they worshiped, but they do not worship the living God. And so now it's been three years, it's not rained, all the animals are dying, all the people are dying, there's no water, and Elijah says, it's time for a showdown. We're going to find out whose God is God. So Elijah goes to King Ahab. I'm going to tell you the story. It's in 1 Kings 18. You're welcome to follow along. But it's like 30 verses to tell this story, and it's a story, so I'm going to tell you the story. All right? So... Elijah goes to King Ahab and he says, um, how you doing? Well, not so good. It hasn't rained for three years. All of the people are upset at me. We've got all these, all, we're praying to all of our false gods. And, and Ahab says, why are you troubling Israel? It's verse 17. It's right there. Verse 17. Yes, there it is. 
Why are you here, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah said, I'm not troubling Israel. You're the one that's causing the trouble because you are worshiping false gods. So Elijah proposes a showdown. He said, we'll go up on Mount Carmel. And if you go with me to Israel, I'll take you to Mount Carmel. I'll take you to the exact spot. The Bible gives just enough reference points. It's the only mountain in the world that fits the description that's given in this passage. I can take you to the exact spot where this story happened. He says, we'll meet on top of Mount Carmel and once and for all, we'll prove whose God is really God. So, the false prophets come, 850 of them, and Elijah's by himself. Well, his friend Obadiah is there, but he doesn't say a word. We don't know. He just in, he kind of blends into the background. So Elijah's standing there against 850 men and women, false prophets, and the king and the queen that are on the side of the false prophet. And he says, he says, today we're going to decide. He said, we're going to set up two altars. We're going to sacrifice two bulls. We're going to lay them out. And the God who answers by fire, that's God. Fair? Is that a fair deal for you guys? They're like, yeah, good deal. Okay, so we're going pre to prepare this altar and this fire. So here's how it plays out. So we start off and he builds, he build, uh, they're going to build their fire first. He's going to let them go first. And well, how the story ends is they lose. The 850 false prophets are killed. And the people said, we will worship the Lord. That's how the story ends. We'll come back to that. But you, you look at it and you go, wow, this is kind of a bloodthirsty deal. Yeah, it is. This is called man on man. Somebody's going to die today. You want to know if your faith is real or not? Elijah is willing to stand up to 850 prophets and the king and queen and said, you know what? I know my God is real. That's the kind of confidence he has. And he said, I'm willing to stand here alone. And we'll let God sort this out, right? Now, I want to tell you, I, um, one of my gifts, I, I only use it sometimes on stage, but one of my real gifts is the gift of sarcasm. And I don't know, uh, some of you guys have that gift, but in this particular passage, more than any passage in Scripture, you get to use your gift of sarcasm, okay? So this is how this story starts out. He says... Are you troubling Israel? All right. Well, the other day I'm at the dentist office and I have a great dentist and I have, it's a great dentist office and, and we go in and we laugh. I'm just like I am here. I never shut up I'm, and we're laughing and I'm, I, we talk scripture and we're talking about things and then they, you know, then they, they start numbing you, right? And then they start asking you the questions after they got half of your face asleep and they got stuff stuck in your mouth and somebody's got their hand down your throat and they're asking you questions. And, um, you know, most of the time you just kind of nod or, or whatever. But uh, apparently my, uh, my problem this time, the, the actual cavity must have been down in my shoes because he just kept, he had to go way down deep. And, um, and uh, he kept saying, he kept saying, move your tongue, move your tongue. Well, uh, you can you can only do it so much, especially when it's numb, right? 
So he finally says to the nurse, would you retract his tongue? And I couldn't help it. I pushed the dentist aside and I said, my wife has been trying for 36 years to do just that. So I had a designated person to hold my tongue. A lot of times, I think, in the church, we've taken the wrong approach. The reason we've been overrun in our culture, in other cultures, is because we have held our tongue when we should not have. There's a time... Now, I'm not talking about starting fights, but there is a time to stand. And listen, yes, you need to stand when it comes to pro-life, when it comes to what marriage is, when it comes to the authority of the Bible. But... You don't have to start fights. Maybe it's just standing for Jesus. Maybe it's just standing for your faith. Because there's a lot of people that are on the, the fence, and I'm going to show you in a minute, that are just looking for one person that has enough courage to take a stand and say, No, I do believe that. And all of a sudden, there's a whole bunch of other people like me too, but I didn't have the courage to say anything. And when the church is silent, the pagan world rolls on. Because rarely are the pagan side silent. And yet when we get pressured, we go and hide. When Elijah got pressured, he went out on a limb. The king says, oh, there you are, you old troubler. And he goes, nah, I'm not the one causing trouble here, son. You, king, you're the one causing the trouble. The reason there's no rain is because of what you've done. It was your choice to worship the false gods. That's why there's... No rain. It's not me. But here's what I want you to know. You and I have been called to be troublers. Somewhere along the line, somebody said being a Christian means you put on a nice dress and you put on a nice suit and you go and you're nice and you do nice things and you don't do anything unnice. Okay. There's some truth in that. But when I read about the apostles... Here's what it said in Acts. It said these people turned the world upside down. That doesn't sound like people who were just working, worrying about being nice. They came in and they told the story of Jesus and what Jesus had done in their life. And they invited other people to know about their God and invited them to, to come and worship with them and hear the story about the resurrection of Jesus because they were willing to put their faith, they were willing to stand out on a limb, put their faith on a test and say, all right, look, I, don't, I may be causing some trouble here, but I want to offer you hope. And then we get to the, to the good part. We get to the actual confrontation. All right. And he says to the people, this is Elijah. See, it's not just the 850 that are on, they're on top of the mountain. This is right up there on top of the mountains where the two altars sat. But the nation of Israel is all around the mountain. And you can hear for a long way. There's nothing around it but huge fields to this day. Just huge fields of grain. And he stood there and Elijah stands up and he looks at all of Israel and he says, How long will you waver between two opinions? If Baal is really God, well, worship him. But if the Lord, the Creator God, is really God, then worship Him. How long will you waver between two opinions? And then it says this. The people said nothing. What? I don't know how many people were there. Let's 
let's be conservative. There's 100,000 there. There's 300,000 there. I don't know. I don't know. They're scattered all over the mountain. Hey, guys, it's time to make a decision. Silence. They would not take a stand. I feel like that's where the American church is a lot of times. I feel like that's where you and I are. Look, you don't have to be out there blowing things up. You don't have to be out there causing trouble. But when we're put on the spot, we ought to at least have the courage to step in. Yeah, I'm a Christian and here's why. Peter said you should always be ready to give a defense for the faith that you have. So he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You guys go first. And so they build an altar. They get some wood. They build up a pile. They cut up the bull. They lay the bull out. And they begin to pray to their pagan god. Now, this is where I love Elijah, all right? <clears throat> because this is a special, special moment in Scripture. Sarcasm to the ultimate. You would think, all right, he would be respectful. Not for a second. While they're praying to their god, he spends all day mocking them and mocking their god. I picture... I picture Elijah with his coffee cup sitting back in a lawn chair and he goes, hey, what's going on? Don't see any fire yet. Where's your God? And, he, and, and he's taking cheap shots at him. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's busy. And if you go with me to Israel, I'll show you. They, they actually... Be, they know the Hebrew pretty well in Israel. But on the sign there at Mount Carmel, that where they have the scripture, what the Hebrew text actually says, he says this to them, maybe your God had to go to the bathroom and he can't be here right now. So much so that now they're in a frenzy. And it says they take out their swords and they begin to slice their arms and blood's going everywhere. Because blood has to be given. But see, we have a God who bled for us. We have a God who laid himself on the wood, allowed himself to be laid on the wood, shed the blood on our behalf so that we don't have to. So he lets us go on all afternoon, nothing. After he gets done mocking them, he goes, okay, my turn. By himself. He sets up the stones. Then he builds 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel. Then he builds the wooden altar, cuts up the bull, lays out the bull. And then he says, okay, we're going to do one more thing. He said, bring some buckets of water. <clears throat> What's unique about this? It hadn't rained for three years. The most powerful, expensive commodity on the planet at that moment is water. He said, bring buckets of water. Now, all these people around, nobody's had anything to drink for who knows how long. Buckets of water. And he said, pour it on top of the bowl. And he dug trenches around it, filled up the trench. Then he said, uh, do it again. <laughs> Don't do it again. Don't waste more water. He did. Then he said, do it a third time. Filled up the buckets, dumped it out. And Elijah just kind of kicked back. Now, here's what I love about this story. Nowhere in Scripture does it say Elijah knew for sure what was going to happen. Never before in history has this happened. Never again in history will this happen. One-time event. Very similar to the resurrection, yes? One-time event. And he waited till the evening sacrifice, when they would have been offering the sacrifices in Jerusalem. 
And he simply does this. He steps up, no dancing, no carrying on, no cutting himself. He stands up and he says, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would you let them know that you are the real God? Fire fell from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the water, the stones, and the dirt. Look at it for yourself. And immediately the response, all of Israel, as soon as it happened, all of Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. The same people that just a few minutes earlier couldn't make a decision to save their life. The Lord is God, the Lord is God. Wouldn't you think if a man rose from the dead, you might get that same response. Because it was life against death. Those are the gods today. It's the God of death and the God of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. It is a showdown, my friends. And every time Jesus gets a chance, Jesus wins. Why do you think the world tries desperately to keep Jesus out? Why do you think the Islamic countries try to keep Jesus out? Why do you think the Chinese have put in new rules persecuting the church and nobody under the age of 18 can be instructed in the Bible? They're terrified of this Jesus. Why do you think in Iran it's all happening underground? The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Why? Because the church is oppressed. The church grows even stronger. Because you cannot stop life. The resurrection of Jesus is where this all goes back to. That was the watershed moment. I've stood there in Arizona. I've been to the OK Corral. I don't know how many of you have been there. Big deal, right? It happened for about 45 seconds and we're still talking about it hundreds of years later. All the, this, this story about, about the one little shootout that took place amongst thousands of other gunfights that took place. But this is the one that Hollywood's taken to and everybody else has taken to. And so you go out there and you see this place. But it happened once. It was a showdown. It was a one-time event. And Elijah said, guys, you got to make a decision. So I ask you today, how long will you waver between two opinions? Some of you have been in church all your life, never accepted Jesus. Some of you here, maybe the first time you never accepted Jesus. Maybe you're watching online, you're at Palm Bay, you're at Deland, you've not accepted Jesus. I guess I ask, why? I want you to see Elijah standing on top of the mountain and saying, listen, would you make a decision? Choose. If, if this is your God, then worship Him, which we're doing a pretty good job of. But if the Lord is God, let's worship Him. Why is it so hard to show up for church? Why is it so hard to give our tithe to God? Why is it so hard for us to serve God? It comes down to the last part of this story, and that is this. We don't have confidence in God. Now, if it's one thing Elijah had, it was confidence. You might even say arrogance. Would you go that far? Because this has never happened before. I don't know. I know uh, We know Elijah was a great man of prayer. Did God tell Elijah something? I, I don't know. I don't know if he knew exactly how this was going to play out or not. 
But man, does he exhibit faith? He's out on a limb. He's risking his own life to let it be proven. And he does it in a way where he makes fun of them. He makes fun of them because he knows that his God is going to win the day. Listen, here's the biggest problem I have. I've got people who are not Christians who when they die, all of a sudden, were the greatest people on the planet. It's like, I've been in funerals where I've had people come up and say, was that really my uncle they were talking about? It happens all the time with Hollywood, with, with, with rock bands. Oh man, he's up there jamming away. And you're like, really? You think so, huh? Then I got people who are Christians who have accepted Jesus who go around going, man, I hope I get in. 1 John 4, 17 says, In the day of judgment, if you have accepted Jesus, you have confidence. So you can sit back with your cup of coffee and you can say, you know what? I, I got this because Jesus has got me. And you know, you know why you're able to serve, while you're able to go on mission trips and work in the children's department and give your tithes to the church and you're able to serve in, in a food pantry or you're able to help the teenagers? It's not because you want to earn something. It's because you have confidence you already won. And when I know how the story ends, man, does that take the pressure off. Nobody, if you're into baseball, you know the greatest way to win a ball game is a walk-off home run. The guy does the backflip. Two guys in history during the World Series, Bill Mazeroski, Joe Carter, hit a, hit a home run to win the World Series. What a feeling that must be to know that it all ends here. Flip the bat, touch the bases, and you step on home plate. It is the ultimate mic drop. Can I tell you guys, when Jesus came out of the grave, that was the mic drop. There is no walk-off home run like that one. And I say to any other, I don't care what you worship, who you worship, my God walked out of the grave. Beat that. If you, you can give the Lord a hand. If you need to make a decision, you're online. There's people there. They will, you can, whatever you do, type, text, talk to it, whatever you do. There are people monitoring this service. They'll help lead you to Christ. If you're in Deland, Palm Bay, go see David. Go see Michael. They will help you. If you're here in Ormond, you come right over here. There'll be people here uh, to help you make a decision as to how do I accept Jesus? How do I live for Jesus? What do I do next? They'll pray with you. Whatever it is that you need. But John Maxwell has an interesting statement. John Maxwell, great leadership guy, pastor, uh, written a lot of books. Um, John Maxwell said, you never know who's really with you until you ask for a commitment. It's interesting. Until you ask for a commitment to serve God, a commitment to obey God, a commitment to accept God, a commitment to be baptized, a commitment to give your money. He said anybody can be in church, anybody can be in a gathering, anybody can be in your corporation. But when you ask for a commitment, you'll find out who's really with you. 
Elijah said, guys, how long will you waver between two opinions? Father, I pray that as we finish this today that we would hold on tightly to you. And I realize probably all three of those situations are here. Some are afraid to be a troubler and take a stand and look the king in the eye. Other people really are wavering. I want to be a Christian. I'm afraid to be a Christian. I pray for some that need to get back and get on track. Some that and listening forever. How long? How long before you make a decision and say, no, the Lord, he really is God. <clears throat> and then those that are here that lack confidence because they've sinned, they've made mistakes, would you remind them that we're all sinners and we're all saved by grace? And I'm so thankful that my God won the ultimate bat flip, mic drop moment when he walked out of that grave. Amen.